I'd like to invite you on a walk. I used to walk 15 minutes to work and about two hours back from work. And the reason why it took so long on the way back is to get a sense of the town I was in, to get a pulse against my feet and to let that energy percolate in my mind. I don't work at the moment in that sense, so I do the walks now even though there is nowhere to go The principle is that a moving body makes for a moving mind. The Zen monk who gave advice to many samurai, Takwan Soho, says a moving blade makes for a moving mind, a mind free of fixation. And Paul Graham the programmer and venture capitalist says something similar about walks. Already there's two, now we're going to add a third, Ido Portal, the fitness guru who um, pretty much bases his entire business and philosophy around the idea that a moving body makes for a moving, growing, and flourishing mind. And so what I'd like to talk about a little today is intellectual property. Not just legally, but the very idea that when you have an idea, or a model, or a theory, that it is somehow uniquely yours or that once an idea, model, or theory has been formulated, there's no need to do it again. Now when I go down this route, I notice that most ideas are really old, actually, if we're just looking at the symbolic content So what's the purpose of redesigning the wheel? I think we can see that there's a big difference between the complicated rubber wheels that we see every day now on motor vehicles and whatever one of the first kinds of flat, spokeless wooden wheels might have been. We live in an environment that is changing and that is bigger than us. So once we find something useful, the way that it will be useful next may not be the exact same context that we found that use in.
you might notice that this pattern is pretty much a feature of evolution. The selection of species over time and the selection of genes over time tends to produce a lot of seeming redundancy. And I don't think that innovation is any different. Sure, um, everything that we do might be in some ways an old idea, but the spin on it, the remix of it, is entirely suited to a new context, because the environment has changed. You can actually think about this in terms of music as well. You know, back in the day, before we recorded music, each performance would be different. You would never be in the same room twice, and if you were in the same room, the, the, the way that the air current moves, um, the weather outside, whether there's rain, uh, the people in that room, how they're breathing, all these things change the nature of the performance, not to mention the, the feelings of the performers themselves and the feelings of the audience and how those play into each other. Those, ch those things change the performance. And it's clear that many people today still do appreciate that. That's why I think we like live performances because it is more alive. On the other end, from a moving mind, we might identify something called a halting mind, a mind that fixates on things, and, and this is necessary because I think this is how we get depth in, in some areas. You need both rigid and flexible parts for any uh, machine or body to work well. You need some sort of, of boundary as well as uh, more fluid parts. And so when we fixate on something, that is also necessary. But in doing so, we might not appreciate the differences in every performance. If you figured that a recording of your favorite song, or one of your favorite songs, was all you needed, then you might be losing the richness that you'd get out of a live performance. Thinking about why this richness is important, we might again look at it as a striving for life. The environment is always changing, and the richer your experience is, the better it prepares you to face the changes that will come. This is easy for me to see in 
any sort of combat sport, um, and in combat itself, I believe, in that you need a, a rich interaction full of chaos in order to properly prepare yourself for the next fight. If you were just punching a bag or doing martial arts katas, um, a kata is in which you is, is something in which you perform a canned move. Uh, say I step with my left foot forward and um, angle my right foot in such a way, and then uh, angle my left foot to the left, and then uh, move my foot up and to the left in a kick, and then I do that same movement against the air over and over and over again. That is sort of what a kata is. And that's useful at times for getting certain movements down if they're especially unfamiliar, but that does not prepare you for the fight. You need something richer and more alive in the same way that a musical performance is more alive than a musical recording, a, a sparring session, something in which you have a opposition of wills is similarly more valuable because of the richness that you get from the chaos of a situation where someone is trying to hit you at the same time you're trying to hit them. And this principle is really clear in combat sports, but it's actually present kind of everywhere. If you want to, say, be romantically or sexually involved with someone, you want a relationship that is moving in this way, that is deep and rich, um, that you cannot predict. You want some sort of interaction that exchanges a lot of information so that each kiss is never the same. And you might think that you want something more predictable because richness often comes with what people call drama. But at the same time, there's a part of us, I think, that realizes that the lack of richness that comes from trying to make everything controlled and predictable also makes things less interesting. And maybe maybe that's because if you're not taking in new information all the time, if you're not getting a little new piece of the environment all the time, a part of you, the part of you that's aching for constant survival, knows that it's missing something that one day something might shock you because it comes from so far out of your own uh, tiny world that you've made for yourself. Because combat sports is such a great metaphor for this, you can think about the Chinese MMA fighter who's been going to all the traditional martial arts gyms and kind of beating the shit out of those masters because they created a a world where things weren't moving as much 
where things weren't changing as much, that was not as rich with the selection of things that could happen within a fight, and they were optimized to live well within that world, but when something, in this case uh, the MMA fighter, someone with a richer worldview came in, uh, a worldview that perhaps includes more of the environment, then that was too much chaos for the traditional martial artists to handle. So, when it comes to ideas, I think there is often a situation in which we are exposed to an idea and we think, oh, that's nothing new. Is that really valuable? Or this idea was something someone already came up with. I think it prevents us from finding ways to make our skills, or in this case, our selection of ideas more redundant so that we will be prepared for changes in the environment that will come. If, say, we decided after making the first wooden wheel that that was enough and that when someone else in some other part of the world made a similar wheel um, they were told not to make it because someone else already had that idea then I do not think we would have a Ferrari today you you do need to go over those ideas again and again and because we're all dealing with the same environment the same ideas will pop up again and again in different areas and in different times I think the the expert on uh, cultural evolution Joseph Henrik has a theory that fire uh, was like this that you know multiple tribes multiple peoples at different times and different places came up with with ways to create fire and and that makes sense uh, you know fire is a generally useful thing once you discover something like that it gives you a, a big survival advantage and if you don't discover something like that it kind of gives you a disadvantage the classic example in biological evolution is, is eyes, right? Uh, different species came up with eyes, the, <laughs> the structure of, of eyes and, and using light to sense your environment over and over again um, at different times and in, in different lineages. But each eye is well suited to a different context you have the the eyes of predators for instance which are often front facing and the eyes of mammalian prey 
which often have a, a wider radius. If you had a designer who was coming up with designs for animals, then if you stopped uh, after the first few kinds of eyes and, and didn't keep on riffing off that original design or original clusters of designs, then you might never have, say, the eyes of birds of prey, um, or the eyes of cheetahs, or the eyes of spiders, which are all very different kinds of eyes that do very different kinds of things, um, though they all follow the same pattern of using light to sense the environment around them. What intellectual property does is say, here, this is enough. And we're going to control who or what gets to play off of these ideas in order to come up with new uh, contexts in which to use them. This hurts our ability to build redund redundancy into our systems, into our theories, into our ideas. Because when you feel that either, oh, someone already did this thing, I am not going to look at it because if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which is a great principle, by the way, except when the context is actually different and it might be perfectly functional in the context that it is currently in, but it might have a different context that you are encountering now that might need some sort of modification. Um, so you don't need to fix it, but maybe, maybe you need to modify it. Maybe you need to add a module to it. And if, for whatever reason, you feel like playing with this idea is not worth it because it's already been done, or playing with this idea is not something you're allowed to do because the social environment you're in does not allow for it, then we're kind of setting ourselves up for a future environment that shocks us with something in such a way that we cannot react to it in time, even though we might have been able to react to it if people were working on all these ideas that were supposedly someone else's. I say supposedly because I do not think any of my preferences or my ideas come from myself alone. It's clear when I walk into a room that my feelings and preferences change based on who's in that room. Your feelings and preferences change based on what all of humanity is doing and your exposure to what they're doing.
I don't have any ownership of my ideas any more than the cells in my body have ownership of me. You'll notice that nothing I've said today was original and that you can find this same story uh, told thousands of different ways, maybe maybe even tens or, or hundreds of thousands of different ways. But it definitely didn't happen on this walk with me looking at these white flowers that I'm looking at with these cars passing beside me or with the way that it was presented um, drawing comparisons for instance with uh, combat sports and music and so on that particular arrangement is our own it is yours now if you've listened to this and it's mine